Uh, I work at Bethany and uh, started Bethany North 10 years ago. We just celebrated in the pandemic our 10-year anniversary and uh, serve across all the locations as the uh, what's called the senior lead pastor, which means I get the privilege to work with your pastor, Brad, and uh, he's a real handful. Uh, for those of you new, it's like, yeah, we don't know him. For those of you who've been here a while, like, yeah, Scott, we're going to pray for you. Uh, but he and Carrie are in Arizona and uh, watching baseball and getting away, and he said, hey, would you come and just be with my people? And um, just a moment, we're going to dive in, but I just want to say as a word of welcome that uh, super glad to see you. This is the first time I've been in person with humans for a year. Uh, my church meets in a school that school is closed. So we've not been able to do this for a year. So uh, everyone at Bethany is really excited about what God's doing here at Ballard Baptism last weekend. And uh, I mean, we could go on, but I'm just super grateful to be here. So um, I'll pray and we'll start. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, Bethany Ballard, for your church in the city. God, we would ask uh, that you just be present right now as we take a look at the scriptures and we take a look at our lives. And God, we want to be more and more and more like you. And so we just say a word of welcome to your spirit, to people that are struggling or uh, just down in spirit this morning. God, we just pray you'd meet them. For people that are encouraged, God, are joyful, we just pray, God, you'd magnify that. And Lord, we want to be people that are following you. So would you lead us well this morning? In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, um, so we have been in the series uh, on formed in the, in the wilderness and kind of through Exodus and looking at the old story of Israel to kind of take a look at this story that like it has felt like a wilderness. And so last week, Pastor Red got us started with the Ten Commandments, looking at Exodus 20, but setting you up in Exodus 19 about the relationship that undergirded the commandments. I'll be honest, like it, even in prepping the sermon, it's, it's kind of an odd place to be in Lent in the Ten Commandments. Today I'm going to be preaching through kind of the rest of the Ten Commandments with the big hope that something that, that you hear today actually resonates in your life, in your spirit. I mean, you go back a ways, most Americans could name the Ten Commandments, they hung in schools or in restaurants, whatever, and obviously we're a long way from that. The point of the commandments was to point us to the heart of God. Not the rules of God, but the relationship of God. And, and that's, that's the hope of what I'm going to be sharing from. And I'm going to be preaching through Exodus 20, 1 through 20, with this title that God wants relationship over rules. That God wants relationship over rules. And so um, I want to say that last week, Brad talked a lot about the way that we connected with God was kind of the early part of the Ten Commandments. It's kind of the vertical piece of the Ten Commandments. And today is more of the horizontal. Like, how do we live this out as a new community, a people of God? This is the, the vertical commandments, uh, the relational rules to stay close to the heart of God. Not earning anything, uh, but living into and receiving what God wants to do in our lives. And um, so if you read through all of the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to in just a moment, you'd see that kind of commandment one, two, and three, this is what it means to have a God. And the commandments four through ten, this is what it means to follow God. This is what it means to have healthy relationships. And, and like I said, the hope today would be that something you would hear would connect with your story. Because God was reminding his people then in Exodus, and God wants to remind you people today that he intends for us to be his people, period. 
we're people of God. It's his finished work over us. And even as Lent, we prepare ourselves for the goodness of Easter. We are reminded again and again again, certainly in today's text, there's no way to earn anything that God has established for us. So when we read the commandments, if we get this voice of condemnation or shame or like, oh man, this was what I was raised in, God wants to speak a new word over you. For some of you that weren't raised in the faith, maybe you aren't you know, saddled with those expectations or that kind of guilt trip. But what I want you to hear again and again today is about relationship, that God is wooing you as his people into relationship. It's like God wants to take his people away before he gets to the promised land to say, I am serious about my intent to have real relationship with you. And I don't know if you've ever done anything extravagant in order to show your capacity to be in relationship. Have you ever done anything extravagant to show your capacity to be in relationship? Uh, I have an extravagant story about my desire to be in relationship with my now wife. And it's important for you to know the end of the story uh, as I start the beginning of the story. Because the beginning of the story was uh, I was living in Spokane and a buddy of mine was daring me in my years of singleness. He's like, you know, there's this girl that she loved God. She was pursuing all the right things and I wasn't even sure I was worthy of her. And my buddy was like, oh yeah, you should ask her out. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I could ask her out. It's not a big deal. We're like playing cards or something. He's like, oh, you're, you know, he literally bet me. Now, something about responding to a bet that just, and that's why I love your pastor, Brad, because he's always goading me on, like golfing with him. I always beat him, but he's always goading me about like, yeah, that's a lie. I need to just confess right now. I've never beat him in golf, but I, he would die if I said that to him. But back years ago, so you know, have you ever done anything extravagant to show your capacity to be in relationship? So I go, you know, my buddy calls, you know, calls me out like, you need to just ask her out. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I can or whatever. He's like, you won't. I said, I will. I called her up. Hey, can, you know, this is like the day, like a real phone on a real wall. I called her. She answered. Is this her? Yes. I mean, uh, you're like, is this 1950, Scott? How old are you? And I called her and I asked her out and she said, you know, that sounds fun. And then I said something that I regretted with every fiber of my being. I said, you bet it sounds fun. In fact, I guarantee it'd be one of the best dates of your entire life. I'm like, why did I say that? That was not a good move. You know, sometimes we speak out of our insecurity or out of our shame, words that we wish we could take back, right? So we made it a double date between my friend who knew, knew her friend. And, you know, we did this double date. We went bowling. We ate Chinese food. And then because sometimes we want to show this incredible capacity to be in relationship, we blindfolded our dates and then put them in the back of my van and drove them outside of town where we set up a picnic by a waterfall. But I have four kids now. Like dating rule number one, no blindfolds. Dating rule number two, no vans, right? Like if we could just like, if like everything that happens after that is fine. No blindfolds, no vans. Well, you know, it turns out that that gesture to show my capacity to be in relationship with her set the foundation for us to like live into. And here 25 years later, still working at making it work. She's an incredible woman. We have an incredible relationship. But to the point of Exodus, it's like if you view the commandments, not at rules in which us to see ourselves maybe achieving God's love, but about God's incredible capacity to be in relationship with us. I think that sets a pretty good foundation. That's, that's what it's about. 
a wild, extravagant story of God saying, I came for you. I want to be in relationship with you. And that's really our big idea today, that the commandments are really just the aspects of relationship, not rules to earn God's love. God wants relationship over rules. And so the commandments are guideposts and reminders to keep God at the center of our life. It's God's waterfall moment. God's saying, I'm going to do something wild so that I can see you. And so we're going to kind of talk about the foundations of the commandments and then just kind of some deep dives into a few that you've heard before, but some things that as I prepared to speak with you today that I felt like God laid on my heart. So let's, let's begin here. God wants to be the desire of our hearts. God wants to be the desire of our hearts. Look at Exodus 20, uh, here at the beginning, verse 1 through 5. And God spoke all these words, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above nor on the earth below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now, I know this is kind of a follow-up for some of you here last week, but this is the foundations. We're going to be looking at kind of commandment 1 through 10. God wants to be the desire of our lives. For many of us, we have been uncomfortable with our desire. We've been made to feel like, oh, what, what I desire and what God desires are sometimes out of sync. And I heard a speaker recently talk about um, James and John, the sons of thunder, when they were, you know, arguing about which was going to be on the left and the right. And I'm like, oh, those guys are idiots. Can you imagine them saying this to Jesus? And I heard this speaker reframe uh, their, their request to Christ, not in like pride or arrogance or shame, but as an aspect of desire. I thought it was really beautiful. The speaker, you know, this is Ruth Haley Bryce, she said, I heard it, I'm repeating it to you. So it's not an original thought, but it's very important for me to hear. She said, James and John just wanted to be near Jesus. Now I've read that my whole life and Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking. And so that when I'm like trying to get in touch with what's going on within me, that somehow God might be mad at me. But what she said is like, Jesus knew how to reframe their desire. They just wanted to be close with him. And so when, when God says, have no idols before me, again, we can't earn anything. He's just reminding us, I have a better relationship for you. And this section of the commandments, it's a message for how we'll be formed. We'll be formed by something. So we must always choose to be formed by God himself. This is the warning about idolatry, where it's like, well, that's certainly not anyone in this room. We don't have little dolls. We don't, no, but it's this, this message about be careful about what forms you. Because what forms you is what you'll end up loving, what you'll end up following. And so all of us, we're not above making idols of things. But an idol is a good thing that we make a God thing. And in Christ, we say, I want you to be the desire of my heart. I want you to be the foundation. Tim Keller wrote a great book, Counterfeit Gods. Highly recommend it. This is, much of this is taken from that. But he says this. He says, an idol is something that we look to for things that only God can give. If we look to some created thing to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself will give, it will eventually fail to deliver and it will break our heart. To practice idolatry is to be a slave. And remember that God is speaking to former slaves. Everyone in the audience of the Ten Commandments was a literal slave in Egypt. So it wasn't even a metaphor. It's like, you remember what it was like. You remembered someone cracking the whip. You remember having no freedom. Like, so we have to read those words metaphorically, like we're a slave to sin that Christ set us free from. But these commandments were spoken over literal people that were recovering from slavery. 
And so, you know, Jesus uh, would come to break us of our slavery. The, the story continues, Exodus 25, A through 6. We have this slide. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is a jealous, jealous God. I don't, I don't think in the Hebrew, I, I don't think jealous was what God actually was intending to communicate through Moses there. It's more of God saying, I am a zealous God. I am so for relationship with you that I will pursue you to the end of the world. Zealous is a better translation than jealous. It means God won't settle for second best. He won't let us waste our life on false desires. And I didn't really understand this verse all that well. I'm still wrestling with it. We studied this. We have house churches at Bethany North. And one of the women that is in our house church, she said, I really wrestle with this. Like, why would God visit you know, the, the, the sin on the third or fourth generations if they didn't choose that. And, and we had some really good discussion that sin at its root does carry on through generations. And for those people in the room that have been through families of alcoholics or abuse, whatever, you know, like, oh yeah, sin carries through genera generations. But God says, I'll, I'll revisit this for three or four generations, but for people that follow me, Man, I'm going to be with you for thousands of generations. God is a jealous God. I didn't understand that until my beautiful 17-year-old daughter started dating recently, right? And I get it just a tiny bit. I don't understand the heart of God, but I do know what it's like to be so in love with somebody. You want other people around them to take good care of them and to make good decisions. Zealous. <clears throat> this section teaches the hearts of the commandments that God says, you'll be formed by what you love. So be careful by what you desire and continue to make me the thing that you're most interested in, the thing that you're pursuing. Be careful of idols, of good things that you've made godly things. And idolatry in our lives are just elevating things out of order. Things like family or success or joy or people's approval or control, these are all good things. They're just not God things. So Jesus says, if you want to follow me, then you need to put me first. Our desire to be approved, it's a good thing, it's not a God thing. Our desire to be beautiful, it's a good thing, but not a God thing. Our desire to be wealthy, or our desire to have a platform, our desire for a perfect home or a perfect family, our desire to be loved by others, our desire to control our lives. Good things, at some regard. But when they get put as the God of our lives, our lives flow into places of slavery. And so here's a good test if you finish this sentence. My life only has meaning and purpose if blank. This will start to reveal if something is acting like an idol in your life. And God's like, hey, I don't, I don't cast you out in that position, but I just want you to put me as the priority first. I want you to desire me as the God of your life. And that's why confession and listening to the Spirit and doing the introspective work of analyzing yourself is so key on the spiritual journey. Because self-awareness will be huge for Jesus' followers to do this internal work. God, where am I missing your best? Where am I taking a good thing and making it a God thing? Because the call of Jesus is to say daily, Lord, give me my daily bread. Let me trust you today. Not with the life I don't have yet, but what you've given me today. It's a daily practice of worship 
and discipleship that will destroy idols and slavery. And I don't know if you ever wonder why Paul likes to, in his letters, like remind people about where they were before he reminds them of where they're going. So look at, look at Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. Here's an example. Paul says, At one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. It's like, Paul's like, that's, you, that's who you were. And it's like, Paul, that's our old story. Let it go, Paul. Let it go. And then he continues, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing, rebirth, renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that when we've been justified by his grace, we might become heirs to having the hope of eternal life. We didn't earn anything. God's like, I've done this work, but I want to remind you who you were in order for you to live into the freedom of the desire of putting me first in your life. Don't settle for your old life. This is kind of the foundation that, that God is working from here. And then God from there lays out the rest of his commandments. Again, these kind of relational guideposts, how to stay close to the heart of God. So let's hear the rest of the commandments. I'm reading from Exodus 20. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, or any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He continues, honor your father and mother so that may you, you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Basically, do not covet. So... Uh, as, we, as we kind of, you know, look through the rest of the commandments, I'm going to just look at three. Three highlights of the commandments that I think God will have something to say to people in this room. And here's the reality. We won't all have the same struggles. We won't all have the same pain. Recently I went to the dentist and I had like this thing in my mouth. And he's like, oh, it's, this is, he's a Christian. He's a godly man. The way he acted to me was not godly. I'll tell you why. He, he's like, we're going to just do a little test. The only way to know what's going on with you is to do the endo-ice test. Do we have any people in the teeth profession here? So endo-ice test, it's easy, right? Sounds curious. He takes a Q-tip, puts a little cold spray, nitrous oxide. I don't know what it was. He's like, I'm just going to feel around. Touches one tooth. Yeah, that doesn't hurt too much. Another one. Ah, oh, it's a little sensitive, not bad. He put, he's like, which is the sore tooth? I point to it. He takes the Q-tip with the nitrous oxide. Touches the... I have to have a root canal this week, guys. He touches that tooth. And I mean, you talk about pain. It was like every pain sensor in my body Boom! I like, luckily I didn't come out of the chair and punch him. It was pain like I've never felt before. When we deal with sin, it's really, really easy to point out other people's cavities, other people's brokenness, other people's raw spots or sore spots. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we've got to be asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want to say to me? As if God wants to just open up our mouths a little bit and say, hey, I want to work on your spirit and your soul. 
And that's why the self-inspection and, and kind of looking deep into our own hearts is so key as Christ followers. So I'm going to just look at three of these commandments. I want to encourage you in the week ahead, look through these and say, God, what do you want to say to me in this time? So here's three things I want to, us to look at. Number one, command highlight number one, practice Sabbath. Now, I know you guys get this a lot because Pastor Brad is a Hebrew scholar and he talks about Sabbath. But God says here, practice the Sabbath. Six days do your work, seventh day I want you to rest. This is Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. I don't have to read it again. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, it's important to remember this commandment, along with honor your father and mother, are the two kind of action steps with the other ones being more prohibitions. And so it's like God in the midst of kind of laying down these relational reminders, he says, you need to rest and you need to take a break. See, God isn't interested in us working our way towards him or ever allowing us to feel like we have earned our, our salvation. That's why rest is so important, both literal rest and the metaphorical rest of trusting that we haven't earned anything. It was all a gift. And we have to be you know, cautious as a church. Like, are we pushing people towards obedience or dependence? Remember what Jesus says. Jesus says, I desire mercy not even sacrifice i want you to know me in your heart of hearts and yes obedience is important but i want you to practice dependence how do we practice dependence on god when we rest because of christ we've been covered in his great love the law is unattainable without the spirit's gift remember what jesus said in the sermon on the mount he said i didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law and then he says be perfect and we're like whoa you're talking in impossibilities, Jesus, unless we rest fully into his grace, into trusting in his power. It's really, really, really key as God's people that we practice Sabbath. Sometimes I practice Sabbath on a Tuesday. Sometimes it's on a Saturday. Like all of you have different schedules and times and, and availabilities. And oh, I have young kids at home or I have roommates. So they're always making like practice on a weekly basis, getting some rest. And more than just even like relaxing, though that's good, but like resting where you're stepping away from the work. So for me, it's really important to take my phone and take email off or turn notifications of social media or remove social media, sometimes for a 24 hour period. Like I went through kind of a burnout mode maybe a month ago and I got on it just, I was like, I felt like God was saying, come away with me. I drove up to Anacortes, got on a ferry out to Shaw Island. There's a little monastery out there. I didn't know what I was doing. I felt foolish. Drove up to this little monastery. I'm not Catholic. What am I doing here? But it was just a quiet place to pray. And, and I didn't see a person out there. And I spent an hour praying in this empty room. And then a buddy who used to live on the island was like, oh, make sure you find this, you know, certain reserve. I like turned down this gravel road and dead ended. And I was like, where am I? And I, Oh, it's, it's the reserve I was supposed to find just by myself wandering around. But I have to tell you, I did not feel alone. I felt like the spirit of God was with me all day. I love to ride on a ferry and I love when you get to ride in the front of the ferry. You ever had that experience? You're the front. It's like, this is, this is amazing. Both ways out to Shaw Island, I've got to ride on the front of the ferry. What's the point? If we never step away, we'll never feel God saying, I want to be with you. I want to see you. So practice Sabbath. It's really, really key where we're resting and stepping away from our work. The second commandment highlight I want to highlight here is this one from verse 13. 
protect life. You shall not murder. Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. This is our, our, our deep dive commandment, number two, protect life. This one's an easy one, right? This one will not get at you on the Indo ice test, like not murdered anyone, Scott. This one, I feel very holy today. I'm good here. This is not my problem. But I just want to ask you a few questions. Like, do we ever participate in systems that murder the image of God and others? Uh, you just heard Jen pray about the violence in our country, the violence in our city. I unfortunately had to call one of my friends who's Asian American after the city, after the shooting at Emerald City Fellowship to say, hey, have you heard about this one, another act of violence? His response was just to weep and weep and weep and weep. He's so exhausted and he feels murdered might be strong language but feels worried certainly scared something felt killed in him with the racialized fear and trauma going on in our society listen to romans 13 9 the commandments you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not covet and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command love your neighbor as yourself and so as a church, when we talk about racism, we don't do that in order to keep the church enslaved into some sort of cultural narrative. We talk about racism in order for God's people to feel the freedom where the image of God is protected in all God's people. As a staff last week, we were led through different Bible verses about uh, what the scriptures say about racial reconciliation. And we read in Revelation about the new kingdom that will be one of every tribe and language and tongue and nationality. And if that's what the future looks like, We've got work to do now. That's why it's so important that the church points to justice because God says, that's my heart. So do not murder. Do not participate in systems that murder the image of God in every one of my people. And the final kind of highlight I want to lift up is this, uh, do not covet. Look at verse 17, Exodus 20, 17. God says, you should not covet your neighbor's house, you should not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male, nor female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Do not covet their anything, their car, their wife, their house. Like, don't. And basically why this starts to matter, and maybe this will be your Indo ice test moment. Do not desire life, says God, that I haven't already set you in. Well, this is like the American dream. We all, have, we all have a dream. We're all out there trying to you know, chase down a new job or a new car, a new relationship, whatever. But God says, be very careful that you don't, in your desire for the next thing, you can't enjoy what I've already given you. Because I am the God that delivered you from slavery to freedom. If you are coveting, you are missing the freedom that I meant to give you. And every one of us, like young parents, like, oh, I wish my kids were a little bit older. Retired people, like, we remember when we were younger. Younger people, like, won't it be nice to be retired? Everyone at times is guilty of desiring a story different than the one that God has put us in. I heard someone once say, if the grass is always greener, it's time to water your own grass. Because the fact of the matter is, church, the grass isn't greener. Like, I had this happen recently. We've been shopping for a new car, for no joke, 12 months. Like, we have, like, rolled. I have four kids. We, I have to actually leave after, I met, after the message because I got a kid that has to go to a soccer game. We've been rocking this, like, 20-year-old pilot, you know, that's just kind of falling apart. We've been just waiting to get a new car, waiting and looking and waiting and looking, but not coveting. No, a little bit, maybe, right? And, and then we get the car, 
And man, it's a nice car. It's three years old, but it feels new to me. And I'm driving this thing around. And I'm not kidding you. You want to know, like, pastors, like, we're ministry people. Like, we deal with brokenness too. Like, it wasn't a day after the car that I'm like, yeah, it's, it's all right. You know, it's like, what? God's like, what do you want? Like, it's so easy to keep desiring the next thing. And God's like, just know the part of being human, you always want what you don't have. Paul said in Philippians 4, I have learned to be content in every situation. So I love that because if the Apostle Paul had to learn contentment, then how much are we going to need to learn it? Do we have to learn to be content? Because the opposite of covetousness is contentment. The opposite of, desire, you know, the grass is greener syndrome is saying, God, thank you for the grass under my feet. Thank you for my roommate or this relationship or this old piece of junk car, but at least it's, you know, whatever. Like God's like, be careful that you're not a slave to someone else's story. I have desired that you would be free. Look at Luke 12, 15. Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in abundance of possessions. This might be the besetting sin of most of our culture. And it's interesting because most of the other sins in the commandments, they're external. But this one deals with our heart, right? This one deals with something going on inside of us. And just like that cavity of mine that needs to be fixed this week, stuff in the, in the privacy of our own hearts likes to breed discontentment. And sin likes to hide. So ask God to reveal places of, uh, of your story, maybe, where you're desiring a life other than the one God has put you in. And you don't have to feel like shame for that, but just ask that God would once again restore to you the joy of your salvation, the joy of where God has actually given you to live, to work, to be. God's like, I will take good care of you. Ephesians 5, 5 says this, For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's a really hard word. But I wanted to just make this connection that sometimes our greed, God lumps in with impurity or immorality. Coveting is a really big deal. And it shows stuff at our roots that God says, like, I want to deal with that. There's stuff going on in your, in your foundation, in your roots, that I would like you to kind of to get rid of. And I want to be once again put on the throne of your life. I want to be established as the desire of your hearts. So then I went to sell a house in the Bryant neighborhood some years ago, and the market was very different than the market today. This was years ago. But when the agents walked around to kind of take a look at our house to put it on the market, they're like, man, somebody's going to have to clean up this backyard. I had this idol of laziness in my backyard. There's weeds everywhere. No problem, I said. Hired gardeners. They came in. They, put, they ran a weed eater over the weeds. They, they slammed in some Home Depot daisies and, you know, just cheap little, you know, pansy flowers, whatever these things are, right? Like a dollar a flower. And then covered it with beauty bark. I don't even know if they call it beauty bark anymore. I think they just call it like mulch. But back in the day, we called it beauty bark, which is a funny vision. You're going to just take something and throw it over the top and make it beautiful. And then it looked beautiful. But when the house didn't sell in week one, two, three, and four, and people are like, man, you're really dating yourself, Scott, because this is a long time ago, right? In Ballard, you can't even like list a house for an hour without 50 people making an offer. But for four weeks, this house sat. And then we went outside, and the weeds had grown out worse than before. 
If we don't deal with that stuff under the soil, under the cavity, like you get the metaphor. God, rewire my heart. I want to see you. I want to know you. God's like, I'm not establishing rules. I just want to call you into relationship. God has an incredible capacity to woo us. He wants to be the desire of our hearts. And so, Bethany Ballard, as you are in this season of Lent, as you're preparing for Easter, may God continue to woo you and establish you and to remind you that he wants to be the number one thing in your life. He wants to be worshipped on the throne of your life. So take a look under the soil and, and try to ask God, are there things I'm coveting? Are there places I'm contributing that's murdering the image of God in others? Are there things that I'm just never actually resting? All these things, like just maybe just one. If you were to go out to brunch today, what's the one thing you felt the Spirit of God just kind of touch that cavity in your mouth? That God's like, yeah. Let's spend some, some time on that this week. And don't move to shame, but move to encouragement. God loves you, and he's for you. And he just wants to spend time with you. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for this church and this time. We thank you for what you're doing here. And God, we would just ask that you would be the desire of our hearts, that you would remind us that you are radically for us, that you show this incredible capacity to, to speak to Israel then, thousands of years ago, that through Christ, you would show this incredible capacity through the Spirit, God, to, to talk to us today. God, we want to hear you today. We want to hear you as your women and men of faith. Whether people in this room feel far from you or close to you, we want to hear you again. We want to experience you again. So God, would you take something from this old story and make it new again in these people's lives and some place where you're just wooing them and reminding them, all of us in the room, God, we, we know that I, idols have just kind of kind of crept up and, and kind of want to be on the throne. God, this morning we tear them down by the power of your spirit. And we ask again this morning to recommit to following you with our whole heart that you would establish us as people of the book, people of the spirit, people who follow a God who loves them.